0: Episode 17, Season 12. My name is Clatu. this is the show. We're gonna talk about the old fallback. We're going back to the original, back to the beginning of this season, when I started, if you'll recall, dear listener, I started out... Saying very boldly, we are going to go every through every single package in the Slackware on a a default Slackware install disk. We're going to talk about every package, and it'll probably take two or three episodes, but we're going to get through it all. Turns out I was underestimating uh, how much I had to say about each package, I guess, and how many softwares there were on Slackware disk. Although, actually, I, I say that, but I don't mean it. I actually knew that there was a lot of software on Slackware disk. I mean, it's famous, Linux, for having lots and lots of executables in those bin and S bins and user bins and user S bins and user local bins and user local S bins, and all those places. So I didn't really underestimate that side of things. I guess I just underestimated how fascinating so many of them were. And uh, I think we got off track back when we were talking about the find utils. So we're jumping back on track now. I, uh, from memory... The 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 latest, the, the most recent one that we spoke of was certainly in the A package set, and it was the ISA PNP Tools, which, if you'll recall, was something having to do with ISA plug-and-play stuff, and I, I haven't had an ISA card in a computer, I think, well, certainly to my knowledge, ever. So, I mean, I think there was probably an ISA slot somewhere in a computer that I owned, but I, did, I wouldn't have known what that was at the time, so next in the line and i may have already talked about this but it's it's such a fascinating topic that i'm going to just i'm going to say it again and that is uh, jfs utils now jfs utils is a package of u- little utility uh, applications meant for the jfs file system the jfs file system stands for journaled file system and it was developed by IBM so it's IBM's journaled file system jfs and it's a pretty good file system. I use it on my main computer um, and, and have used it on my main computer for ages. I even use it on thumb drives. It's just something that I started using because I wanted to try out different file systems on Linux. And I, I, I went from ext4 to JFS and I just forgot to move on. It was just JFS was was working. And I thought, well, I'm just going to keep using this until I get tired of it. And I just haven't gotten tired of it. And, and again, I say that but in, in truth if, if I'm honest, I'm kind of tired of it now because I realized finally and it took me ages obviously to realize this other people would would realize this immediately probably. but uh, I realized finally that that there is no resize function for a JFS file system. so if you need to resize the partition for any reason or rather the the... the the file system in that partition for any reason, you, you just can't with JFS, it's something that it does not do. Now, I will say, JFS, I mean, everything else about it I love. It, it, it recovers nicely, it, it, it has kept track of all my data, it hasn't really done me wrong yet, I've been quite happy with it, but uh, it, it does not have a resize function, so you need to be aware of that. There you go. Um, oh, I did talk about that before, because here's KBD, KBD is the load and save keyboard mappings. So if you're not using the default US key map, then you need KBD in order to help you uh, load a different map. It's pretty much that simple. Now, there are a couple of different commands within uh, within this package that, that not everyone is always familiar with, and it's kind of interesting to know, to know what's in this. So I'm going to do a less of slash var... Slash log slash packages kbd, and we're going to see that it has, like if you look at it, it's 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 a set of I would almost venture to say 18 just looking at it quickly, and there's th- there are commands like chvt, dallocvt, dump keys, FG console, get key codes, kbd mode, kbd info, kbd rate. Load U- uni map, map screen, open vt, psfx table, lots and lots of different commands, and it's uh, it's something that's kind of interesting. And if you try this on your computer sometime, show console font, just all one string, show console font, it will show you all the different characters, ca- the characters in your current console font map. It's kind of handy. I mean. Maybe you'll never use it, but it's just one of those things that I never even, never even knew about it. Really, there's other things uh, like this chvt. The command makes uh, dev/tty in the foreground terminal, so you can change between your virtual terminals uh, with chvt. You may have not known that before. So, for instance, if I go to, um, if I go to control alt f1, at least on 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 Slackware, I think some some enterprising distros have changed that but if i go to control alt f1 i get my little console here then i can t- type in chvt space 2 and it switches me to i guess f2 i don't really know if it starts at 0 or 1 but but there you go that's that's chvt so i think it's it's arguable that there are all kinds of little commands that you may or may not know exist i mean it depends on when you came to linux i mean if you're one of those old linux users who was around or around before X was all that common, I guess, then you, you may know KBD and all of its related util, utils really, really well. They might bring back painful memories for all I know. Okay, so I mean, yeah, I can imagine someone in the future saying, oh, look at all these cool X.org config files that they, they're they so neat to play around with. You know, I mean, I know that personally I would cringe at hearing that, so I apologize if you're someone who is really, really familiar with all these commands to configure... You know what we would consider now basic defaults. Okay. Anyway, kernel firmware. There are these are kernel uh, firmware files for the Linux kernel. You'll need these to use certain hardware drivers in in Linux. Not really a whole lot to say about that, to be honest. Okay. So we'll continue on with the next one, which is where did it go? All the way down here at the bottom? Nope. The middle. Kmod. Now Kmod is worthy of uh, a little bit of discussion because not everyone I don't feel like everyone knows a whole lot about it and I mean I don't know you know I don't arguably know a, a a lot about it myself but it is a kernel module tool and and library and so what it does is it gives you a set of tools to handle common tasks with little, little Linux kernel modules like insert remove list check properties resolve dependencies and aliases the aim is to be compatible with tools, configurations, and indexes from the module Init tools project. I don't know what that latter one is, but I do know that Kmod can be useful. I have to go to root to use it um, on this system. So I'm going to just look at kmod dash dash help and that confirms that it can act as the as the front end, I guess, or actually it is the 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 actual command that you are running when you run things like lsmod, rmmod, insmod, insertmod, uh, modinfo, modprobe, and depmod. So, and in fact, if you do a file on, um, on well, uh, backtick which lsmod backtick, then it tells you that slash sbin slash lsmod is a symbolic link to kmod. And you can do that down the line. You can do that with all those sort of asterisk mod commands, and they all point back to kmod, at least on, on Slackware. Now, kmod is also the designator on some drivers, uh, on some distributions for for proprietary drivers, so if you're installing NVIDIA video drivers for whatever reason, whether it's because you need to do heavy 3D work that Nouveau is not keeping up with, or or, or whatever, uh, then some distributions package it with the KMOD designator to show that it that it's that it is in sync with the Linux kernel version that you are running and that becomes important because if you don't have them in sync and if you're kind of not aware that they're not in sync uh, then if you were to update your kernel whether it's for uh, some kind of performance boost or a security update or whatever or worse yet if your linux distribution does it out from under you then you'll reboot and you'll find it or your computer will find to its surprise that the module the driver for that nvidia card no longer you know can, is not compatible with the kernel that you are running it 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 doesn't hook into it So the KMOD uh, version of that driver that you will download from your repository, or from a repository, it's probably, since it's a proprietary driver, it may not be the official distributions repository, but it's some kind of repository that supports that distribution. Uh, It will be designated with KMOD, and it will make sure that if there is a new kernel, then the video driver is also updated along with that kernel. So that's something that is quite nice. slackware doesn't do it that way if i install the nvidia driver then i have to maintain that myself i have to update that if i update my kernel but that's fine that that is actually a feature if you ask me because i like being aware of what my system does okay next in line is less less is a text viewer it it scrolls through lines of text It, it looks at a text file it throws it onto your screen and then lets you scroll around and search and do all those sorts of things. I don't think that there are that many people, although I could be wrong, but I I, I feel like everyone's kind of aware of more or less. It, it's one it's one of those Unix traditions that I feel like you get inducted to pretty quickly after starting to use Linux. But maybe there are people who don't realize that when they when they look at some something, maybe a man page or whatever, that they're the the, the 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 pager that they are viewing it through, and that's 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 what it is referred to as, um, is is less. Um, now you can cause it to be something else. For instance, you could you could say pager all capitals equals more, and then do a man of. And I think the one that I saw earlier that was short is kmod and that's, yeah, that's less, I mean, at least I've got a pretty big terminal here, so yeah, that just spit it out through through more. And more exits when you get to the last line, whereas less does not. That's the main difference, for me at least. If you do, let's say you are in less, less foo.txt, and then you hit question, no, not question mark, uh, h maybe, yep, h for help, then you get lots and lots of commands, like more commands than you would ever think would be required for a program that just spits text out at your screen. I mean, really. Like, I'm still scrolling. I've been talking, and I've been... Well, not, not the entire time I was scrolling, but yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big application for such a simple thing. Uh, I've used LESS a couple of times in weird ways, um, like giving presentations. I've used LESS to do that. Like, uh, I think it was on an E, triple E, uh, triple E PC. Or, or something like it might, may, might have been an Aspire, Aspire One, Asus Aspire One, but it was something with a very fixed screen size. So I kind of designed the talk that I was going to give at a conference around that screen size, and I just used less to, to sort of step through the quote-unquote slides, such as they were. I think there were eight slides, and then the rest was a live demo. But anyway, that's that's less. Next one is LHA, which is a LHA Archive Utility by Tsugo Okamoto. And I'd never used this before. I feel like I've actually mentioned it before, so maybe I'm, I'm retreading all of this as something I've already talked about, which I apologize for that. But um, LHA I'd never tried before, so I, kinda, I grabbed a 145-kilobyte text file called foo.txt and just on a whim did LHA space A for add, foo.lha I have no no idea what kind of extension lha archives are supposed to use so I just used lha and then foo.txt and it compressed it down to 20 kilobytes so that's kind of cool from 145 to to 20 and if you do a file on this thing it says it's a um, an lhark archive data which is lh7 so maybe the the appropriate Uh, extension would have been .lh7, maybe, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I really had no idea that was on my system. I guess I could start using it, although I have to say that archiving is a, it's kind of like a file system kind of topic, you know? It's like, you really want it to be, you want to trust it, you don't want to just switch to it for fun, you want to trust it, because when you come back to that archive in three years, or five years, or 15 years, you want to make sure that it's still there and openable. So you want to make sure that it's reliable, that it's that it's going to preserve the data, that it's going to open up when you need it, and that when, you know, if something has changed, like if you switched from Linux to BSD or something, or from BSD to Linux or, or whatever, or from, yeah, that, that would be maybe from Linux to BIOS, or, or Haiku, rather, then you want to know that there's LHA support on that on that new OS right? Because if, if you don't have that, then your archives are essentially useless, although it being open source, you could just fire up a, a live distro like Porteus and then probably unarchive it that way, which that's a lot more comforting than some of the old archive formats I used to use on my old platform before Linux. For a long time, the, the platform that I used before Linux didn't basically for like everyday use, did not have an archive utility. Now this was before OS ten and OS ten started shipping with zip, but before that there was no archiving tool sort of built into the system. You could download or purchase or whatever, some kind of shareware thing that I'm assuming it probably still either exists or it has been probably reverse engineered by now. I, I dread to think about it. I I, I certainly would not want to come across one of these archives. It was I think it was called stuff it and and yeah, I remember for a while there, it was really it was a problem for me because I I did not have a Mac anymore and I had switched to Linux, and I kind of came across all these old stuffit archives and realized oh that's something that I forgot I had I don't remember if I ever got them open or if I just tossed them out but yeah you kind of want to be careful with those archives is all I'm saying let's do one more and that's going to be libc groups. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a background to really give this the kind of attention that it deserves, because this is a big one. It's huge. Libc group is the library and utility package for kernel control groups. Control groups, according to this uh, Slack description, control groups provide a mechanism for aggregating, partitioning sets of tasks and all their future children into hierarchical groups with specialized behavior. So it's kind of um, um, almost a tagging system, if you will, or I guess there's probably a better term for it, oh, I know, containerization tool uh, for the, the Linux kernel, and it is specific to the Linux kernel. I mean, I'm sure there are equivalents in other kernels, but this is something that is that is, for better or for worse specific to the Linux kernel, and I say for better or for worse because a lot of the flack that the BSD crowd gives Linux lately, I think, has been because of, it, it kind of boils down to libc groups, ultimately. Because even I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think even the like a lot of the system D stuff that that messes around, you know, that that does a bunch of fancy stuff that, that BSD cannot c- could not if they wanted to take advantage of, uh, has to do with libc groups. It it boils down to this not being a thing in the BSD kernel. Now, like I say, I do believe that there are, equi- you know, functional equivalents. Like if if you say, hey, I want to do this task then I, I believe that there would be something that could achieve the same end, but it would I, I think it would be completely different than than the way that it's done. I could be wrong about that too. Maybe there's just no equivalent to libc group on BSD or in a mock kernel or in an NT kernel, just it doesn't exist and Linux is the only thing that has it. I don't know. But uh, given that I think I think Docker now runs both on Windows and Linux. So given that that, that exists i think i feel like there must be some kind of of equivalent within other kernels Um, either way i I may as well stop debating something that I, i cannot come to an answer on without further research but either way this is um a pretty special linux thing and i i gather some people like it some people don't i don't know that whole much about it i can say that the documentation for libcg.sourceforge.net is really, really good. It's amazing. If you go to again libcg.sourceforge.net and just read, it's it's maybe uh, maybe four screenfuls. Let's call it, and it it explains the structure of C groups and kind of how it stacks on top of the kernel and between the applications. It gives you examples of how how you might utilize libc groups to uh, partition off different sets of applications, almost as if though they were in jails of sorts, um, or containers, so many terms for this. Um, and and it it tells you, even at the very bottom of the page, it, it just gives you a series of commands. It's like, here, here's how you could make a top-level group. And it, it steps you through it, and it's like two, four, six, eight different commands, and you can get sort of a proof of concept going. Now, I don't know what you do with that proof of concept, but but they are commands that you can run. There is also a link from that page to the lwn.net page, which is kind of the Linux weekly news source. And on May 29th, 2007, uh, apparently there was a big patch for container stuff by Rohit Seth, and it is... there's a link to that even. You can actually see the patch if you really want to see it pretty pretty amazing stuff um, and and it's got all that stuff in it and it kind of it, it sets it all into motion and and as far as I know this this that's kind of the beginning of of what we now know as containers I could be a little bit fuzzy on the history there I could be I could be missing you know I don't know 10 or 20 years of important research that led to this to that to that patch uh, of of to the infamous patch of September 14th 2006 um, but it's certainly it's certainly a big deal all right i know i said just one more but but i really i kind of find myself not being able to stop so one 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 more and this is not a big deal libgudev so libgudev libgudev and it's th- not a big deal it's libgudev a library providing g object or gobject bindings for lib udev. It used to be part of udev, now it's a project on its own. Great. Big deal, right? Well, actually, lib g udev may or may not be a big deal, but boy, is gobject a big deal. And and udev, certainly. We'll talk about udev in the future, I'm sure. I mean, I've already talked about it a little bit in my attach-up uh, episode, if you go back and listen to the, the one where I'm talking about how I used udev to plug in my Thumb drive and the thumb drive automatically backs up to my computer, that sort of thing. But gobject is a big deal, and gobject is I I call it gobject. I don't know if it's supposed to be called gobject, but that's what it looks like. Gob and then JECT. Gobject is it it depends exclusively on glib and libc, so it's a pretty low level kind of uh, layer within the, the Linux system but it is the foundation pretty much through th- for for GTK which obviously is huge in Linux. I mean it's huge. GTK is I mean it's it is probably I mean like for most users it's probably 80% of Linux, if you know what I mean. Like when they look at their system and and if if they don't know a whole lot about what they're using, they would probably say yes, this is Linux right here. This this system, they would point to their screen, which would be running GTK probably, uh, and and if not the desktop, then, then certainly some important application on there is running GTK. And they would say that's 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 what Linux looks like. That's the public face of Linux. So GTK is huge. So GTK plus Pango and ATK are libraries that you'll see a lot if you're if you do stuff like I do, which is install dependencies all day uh, and so when I want to install something from Slack Builds, and it comes up with a list of all the dependencies that I need to install before I can get there, if it is a GTK application, and if it is the first GTK application that I've installed on a new system, then yeah, I see a lot of this Gobject stuff. Lots of GTK, uh, Pango, PangoMM, ATK, ATKMM, lots of interesting low-level libraries. And essentially what it is, is it's a wrapper. It's kind of this wrapper around low level system calls. It gives everything a nice, cozy space or a, a cozy target to to call when it needs something. you know if it if it needs the system to do something, they don't need to go in and make system calls to a bunch of different C C code codes that they can they can point at an, at at this object that has bundled a bunch of the similar, see information that they that they need to, to know about into, like, a, a an object of sorts, and they, they kind of poke at that object and say, hey, what's, I don't know, what's my screen size right now? Or, you know, whatever. I don't even know if that... I, I have no idea what handles the screen size. I don't know if that would if that's a realistic um, example. But let's just say that that would be something that it could ask. So that is Gobject. It's a big deal. I'm not super familiar with GTK. I mean, I, I've just raved about how important it was and how much it's the facing, the, the public face of Linux, but in actuality I much prefer... well, I shouldn't say I much prefer Qt. I, I should say that that I have used Qt uh, and never programmed anything in GTK, which is not entirely true either, because I've used WXWidgets, which I think technically leverages GTK. But um, I didn't like that all that much, so there you go. So I, I guess I do prefer Okay, well I'm I'm in the L's now, so I might as well finish the L's, right? I mean that that seems fair. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna whirlwind my way through these. There's Lilo L I L O, Linux Loader. That's the thing at least on my computer, when I boot up, that's the screen that I see. I get past the BIOS screen and I see this little menu saying, Do you wanna boot into Slackware? or and and then I boot into Slackware. Um so actually I have it on a very low delay because I, I there there's on this system there's not really a choice. On my laptop I can boot either into Slackware or into OpenSolaris, or Illumos, I mean. And, and it was supposed to be Haiku at some point, but I just never got around to that. So anyway, Lilo is what I use to to manage my, my bootable partitions on a computer. I have tried Grub. I do not like Grub. I, I like some of the features of Grub, but but interfacing with Grub I just I don't have any luck with, especially with Grub 2 where it's supposed to do all this automatic detection, uh, i'm just I'm not a fan. Lilo, you hard code stuff it it it's it's really nice. it's really great uh, admittedly if if something goes horribly wrong you might have trouble uh, getting it you know setting it right again. but if you know what you're doing you can make a lilo boot stick or a, a actually I think it's a sys, SysLinux sys Linux boot stick and boot off of and use that to boot into your system and and fix lilo. so I don't really have a problem with it I've had i've I've messed around with this particular system enough to run into potential problems, like things that would have a long time ago uh, basically sent me to do a re would have sent me to do a reinstall and and now I just I make a boot stick and and get around any kind of issue. Um, and that was only the issues were only because I was messing around with like partitions, the layout of my system. It wasn't it wasn't because of any kind of innate failure. It was just me. Trying different things. Okay, next is log rotate. Log rotate rotates logs. that's it's a system that looks at system logs, and as they get older, then they get rotated out. so it's it's just keeping your log stash uh, sort of reasonable. Lrzip is a file compression program designed to do particularly well on very large files containing long distance redundancy. The larger the file, the more memory you have, the better the compression advantage will provide. A variety of compression options allow for optimizing uh, either for speed or for size. Okay, well, let's give it a try. So this is called lrzip. So I will just do it lrzip with nothing. It looks like it's lrzip and then dash. It says options and then file. Uh, I'm just going to do, how about if I just do this? I'm going to do foo.txt. And it looks like the compression ratio was 8.42. Average compression speed was 0 megabytes per second. Total time spent was 14 milliseconds. And it saved it out to a file called foo.txt.lrz. So I'm going to do an ls-lh on foo asterisk. And it looks like my 145 kilobyte file foo.txt got shrank down to 18 kilobytes for lrzip and only 20 kilobytes, if you'll recall, for LHA. So it looks like I'm not switching to LHA after all. In fact, could I just remove pkg? Oh, I'm not root right now. Well, maybe later I'm going to remove LHA, because if it can't beat LRzip, then what do I need it for? Okay, and then finally, last but not least, LVM2. LVM2 is the logical volume manager. It is a brilliant, brilliant. I consider I, I say it's a software raid. That's basically what it is for me. I know that that's not super accurate and people would get angry at me for saying so. But functionally, like if, if you're just showing it to people who who know who don't really know a whole lot about how hard drives work or how they talk to each other, um, essentially it's a it's a software raid. That's that's what it feels like. Uh, I think there is some technical reason why you shouldn't call it that, or, or maybe someone just yelled at me for no good reason, I'm not sure. But whatever this is, LVM is a way to take, for instance, two hard drives and to tell your OS to treat them as one big storage pool. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant application. It it honestly is. And it, it, it interfaces really nicely with Lux, LUKS, L-U-K-S, which is the disk encryption application for Linux. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful system. I think I've done an episode on it. Maybe I will revisit the topic and do another episode on it now, now that I've got a fresh, presumably, set of listeners. I mean, old listeners as well, but maybe I've acquired some new listeners who maybe haven't gone back and heard, like, every episode that I've ever done, which I probably don't really advise. Uh, Anyway, but... But there is an episode out there, I think, on LVM and Lux, and so maybe I will revisit revisit that next time if I can't think of a better topic because it, it it deserves restating. LVM and Lux, it's 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 good stuff. It's powerful stuff. It will save your life in a production environment where there's no such thing as enough storage. I mean that it's just it's brilliant for that. Honestly, I used it daily at my at one of my jobs where i was yeah i was just managing data all the time and there was never enough because render files were being produced and all you know all these big multimedia files were being thrown around nobody would ever clean up after their work so LVM was the answer. It was brilliant, it was wonderful, and I highly recommend you look at it. Uh, Debian and Fedora and all the, all the big ones, I think just kind of make it, if, if I recall correctly, they make it pretty easy to just kind of kind of do from the very beginning. Uh, for Slackware, if I recall correctly, and I haven't done it in a while, um, if I recall correctly, I, I installed everything on Slackware to one partition, and then I did the LVM after the fact, and that worked out nicely as well. Anyway, that's for the next next episode, maybe. This episode's now over. We're at the, the the end of the L's. Possibly again, I'm not sure I might have rehashed a bunch of stuff, but I feel like I had a bunch of interesting stuff to say about each one. So either either I've completely forgotten or I've just I still had more to say about the L category uh, and some of the K and one of the J's. So there you go. That's L, the L section of the A package set on Slackware. Once again, I'm reminding you, Look at the stuff in your bin folders, look at them, see what, what your distribution has given you to work with, and when you see those weird oddball little uh, applications that you're you're just thinking, I, I don't even, I didn't install that, I have no idea what it does, look it up, find out, because, because this open source stuff, it, 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 it starts to kind of crumble a little bit if we don't even bother looking at what is on our system, much less the code making it all run. So I'm just encouraging you to do that on a on a lazy afternoon because it really is it's fun. It will get you down this path of discovery that you may not have experienced since the first time you installed Linux. So give it a go. Have fun. Thanks for listening. Order Cast. This has been Clatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the free node network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Clatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Clatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu@member.fsf, at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, GNU World Order.info and SlackerMedia.info. I will see you next time.